I needed to have a strong internal locus of control. Mm-hmm. Basically, I needed to make things happen rather than things happening to me, which I thought was the the way forward. Is okay. The somebody in the company will put their magic wand on my head and say, "Okay, you're next." But okay. that's that's not how it happens. And that's one of the big learnings I got from a mentor of mine, Ramit Sethi. He had a program called Success Triggers. where he talked about all these different mental models that are required and the internal locus control locus of control was one of them another one was having difficult conversations generally coming from an immigrant background you would kind of stay away from conflict but the part of creating disruptive technologies is having some disruption in in just debates or or difficult conversations in the workplace how to always step back from it you're listening to foreign founders where we tell stories of immigrant and international founders who are working tirelessly to shape the future we share stories of their upbringing culture and background and explore the companies and products they're building we want to highlight these founders because these are stories that are often not told thank you for joining us Are you an immigrant looking to get promoted, land a step-up job or start a side business? On today's episode, we have Varun Negandi, who is an engineer and entrepreneur. He is a senior engineer and partner at Engsim, an automotive consulting company, and he is also the founder at Beyond Grad, where he helps immigrants boost their income with value-added courses. Varun caught my eye because he's curating incredibly valuable resources on his LinkedIn and website to help immigrants. Things like visa or business resources and more. In this episode, we'll cover content that is hopefully helpful for our listeners. Thanks for chatting with me, Varun. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, let's get started with a simple question. Let's, you know, this is a show for immigrants. So, what is the movement between of you and your family the physical movement around the world so i come from a city called mumbai in india it's a bustling city it's like new york if you've ever experienced it it's it's it has its own pace and people have to deal with that pace and earlier in my career i have always wanted to do, become an engineer that's what i pursued in my undergrad in mumbai and then i saw my elder brother a cousin brother going to the us to study and do his masters mm-hmm. and i was like wow that would be cool for me too because it would be a great experience to kind of go out of my country and do a masters because the masters ecosystem in india at that time mm-hmm. wasn't as uh, in wasn't as impressive it is now but at that point it wasn't so i packed my bags and came to michigan uh to a very slow paced relaxed suburban <laughs> wild uh, michigan city uh, called dearborn uh, i and i studied in university of michigan dearborn and yeah. did my masters in automotive systems engineering was lucky to be part of amazing groups in the university that helped me get an internship after a couple semesters and then graduated in a in a year after that 
and have been working in the automotive industry since then. Did you know you wanted to be in automotive? Yes. Right away. I think just whipping through magazines, automotive magazines, uh-huh. uh, while growing up. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that might surprise you is that I'm not really into a lot of like the car models. I wouldn't know exactly the specifics of each, but I just love the technology behind it. The engine going into the transmission, going to power at the wheels that always fascinated me. So it was yeah. all through my uh, schooling. Automotive engineering was my focus. That's awesome. And that's why Michigan makes a lot of sense. Uh, automotive capital in the U.S., right? Absolutely. Yeah. And what was that first experience being in, a, you know, going from Mumbai, which I heard I've never been, but I heard it was uh, way busier than New York or like more bus hustling and bustling too. So like from there yeah. to a small town <laughs> was that experience. It was shocking. I'll give you a simple example. If I want to go in Mumbai to get a haircut, at that time, I did have hair. So <laughs> if I have to go in Mumbai for a haircut, I could walk, take the bus, take a rickshaw, take a taxi. If I have to go further, I can take a subway or a local train. So I had five to six modes of travel. I came to Michigan and all you can do is go from one place to another in a car. So that was one big shock to the system. The other shock was that coming from Mumbai and all of us in probably in Asia who grew up, grew up in Hollywood movies, TV series. I know Prism Break was like really popular when I was in engineering. Grew up listening to Metallica, uh, who are from San Fran, San Fran, I think, if I remember correctly. So you are seeing all these huge cities. In, in all these different uh, places. Whereas 99% of the US is like, you'll find one building that's like more than four or five floors or a few, just a small area that has a that has building more than four or five floors. And the rest of it is uh, a lot like a suburban feel. So that was a big shocker that not the whole of US is not New York, it's not San Francisco, it's, it's completely different. Yeah. Okay. I... I've grown to love it. Grown to love it. And one of the things when I um, had the choice to move to the U.S. for school as well, like undergrad, my choices were either California where it's super nice or Massachusetts, whereas like I was like, what is winter time? So I imagine that was kind of like a similar thing for you, too. Yeah, I remember the visa interview that I had uh, back in Mumbai in the U.S. consulate. And you are generally very nervous and, and a little bit rigid. But the, I was lucky to get a pleasant uh, officer and she was just talking to me about Michigan. And one thing he said was, she said was, make sure you carry a strong winter coat with you. And that was my first kind of uh, realization that, oh, it's going to be damn cold there. You know, <laughs> because only once you experience it, you realize it. And again, like I said earlier, I've grown to love it. Snow yeah. feels magical. I don't mind shoveling my driveway. I actually enjoy it. So I'm I'm happy with where I am. Yeah, that's an awesome story. And that's an awesome um, story of like growing up and really understanding what you wanted to do, which industry. Um, but with the uh, founder, founder life, did you know early on you wanted to have your own company? 
No, I did not. Even though both my parents were entrepreneurs. Okay. But what were they doing? They had a small stationery shop in mm-hmm. Mumbai. And I think that kind of uh, impacted how I thought about entrepreneurship. Is mm-hmm. because they worked their ass off. Like both of them would go um, to the shop along with my maternal uncle. They would all manage the shop together. They would have to work weekends. They would have to work holidays. And just looking at their life and the struggle that they had, making decent middle-class income, but nothing more than that. Nothing like what these startups sometimes uh, do now. That it, it kind of caught me away from it entrepreneurship and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, let's just focus on studying and making sure that we have a decent job. And that's also something that's encouraged in school. Entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. at least in, in Mumbai at that time, wasn't encouraged as a career choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of the creative arts were never encouraged as a career choice unless you were so exceptional at it that people would look at you and say, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Sports yeah. wasn't uh, encouraged as a career choice. So I kind of fit that fit in that mold of becoming an engineer, doing your job, and earning a decent living, which is yeah. all true. But I guess there must be an entrepreneurship itch somewhere in me. And uh, I was lucky enough to land in the areas of the internet where entrepreneurship was talked about with people like Ramit Sethi and Noah Kagan and Tim Ferriss and all yeah. these people talking about entrepreneurship that it kind of juiced me up to to start thinking in those lines yeah it's like the v2 of uh entrepreneurship influencers that came yeah. up and you're like yeah now we can access all these content from all around the world exactly that was a big trigger point it opened my eyes to a model that was different than the model that my parents had access to so yeah i was like okay this is doable and i should start taking action on this yeah. So you uh, graduated uh, your master's, joined an automotive company, and then what happened? What was next? What was next was a big trigger point was getting married and then moving out from living with roommates to living on my own. <clears throat> That's when my, uh, um, what do they say? Right? They say something like the American dream. Kind of there was that bubble kind of burst for me a little bit because here I was going from roommates where I was sharing all my expenses to being the only owner for that household and then paying the full rent, paying electricity, whatever the case may be. And I also had a BMW that I really loved at that point, but was costing me a lot. <laughs> that kind of re- made me realize that, okay, there is something outside of this American dream of saying that, oh, you have a really stable job and life is set. Life is not set. You need to make moves within that career to kind of get a better lifestyle. And that's where I think I got stuck a lot because it's not the same as school. In school, you show up, do things on time, uh, and then give good exams or prepare well for the exams. You get a great grade, and that's what success looks like in school. Whereas the success in the workplace is a lot more esoteric. It's not that you just do the job that you're given and then you call it done. You have to do a lot of other soft skills that actually go in becoming a leader. I didn't know any of that. Mm -hmm. And again, I will give give 
lacks a big um, input or big thank you because I went into these circles of entrepreneurship who mm-hmm. were not only just talking about entrepreneurship, but talking about skills that I could see a direct impact for in my workplace. Did you notice that? Is there a specific example or story that you notice in the beginning? Is it like, did you lose out on a promotion where you thought you were the right person? Or like, yeah, what kind of stories do you have? Surprisingly, I didn't even know. I wanted yeah. to go after a promotion or went after a promotion to kind of say, oh, I, I didn't get it. That's the big learning for me was that I needed to have a strong internal locus of control. Mm-hmm. Basically, I needed to make things happen rather than things happening to me, which I thought was the, the way forward. It's okay, the, somebody in the company will put their magic wand on my head and say, okay, you're next. But yeah. that's, that's not how it happens. And that's one of the big learnings I got from a mentor of mine, Ramit Sethi. He had a program called Success Triggers where yeah. he talked about all these different mental models that are required and the internal locus control locus of control was one of them. Another one was having difficult conversations. Generally coming from an immigrant background, you would kind of stay away from conflict, but the part of creating disruptive technologies is by having some disruption in, in just debates or or difficult conversations in the workplace, I would always step back from it. But mm-hmm. slowly I kind of understood that that was part of the process. And that kind of shifted my entire perspective is that there is a game, be- game being played around me. And mm-hmm. it's not a bad game. It's just a game that has different rules, different variables, and different things that you need to learn. And I started to learn all the rules and even take advantage if I am able to become a better player at it. So what did you do? Did you take notes? Did you compile them? Like, how did you put all these learnings, models into A, action, and then B, into the things that would lead to beyond grad, which we can talk about in a little bit? I'll give you the high level, and I'll give you a specific example as well. Yeah. The high level was I started just investing in different self-development courses. That was Mm -hmm. the biggest change. Even when money was tight, I don't know. I, I look back at it and I, I said, good job, because I still invested in courses from these amazing creators and leaders and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. That's the high level. How I kind of implemented it, and I'll give one example of it, is to be a great leader, you need to be an entrepreneur at work. It's mm-hmm. counterintuitive, but the path to leadership is becoming an owner at the workplace. So I started to take ownership of a lot of tasks and I started to communicate it in terms of what my customers are interested in learning more about. So to give you an example, if I'm trying a new technology on a vehicle, Mm -hmm. what impact does it have on like the overall system, the overall fuel economy of the vehicle? And earlier I would stop at that. But then I started to kind of realize, okay, why is the company wanting more fuel economy? Essentially, they want to sell their product as the one that is bringing better fuel economy. So Mm -hmm. I started to then communicate in those terms that, okay, this increases our fuel economy by 2%, which enables us to sell this component at $100 higher 
because we are able to compensate that for the end customer. That's yeah. a specific example of ownership and communicating what the end customer would benefit from. Yeah. And why, um, why is this something that is difficult to do for a lot of people? And especially for you, your target audiences are immigrant um, uh, people, right? Like people who are working um, as an immigrant in like different countries. I think a big part of it is that the schooling that we have mm -hmm. is all designed to help us be a component in the whole system be a cog. Uh, that's what it's designed to be. So we are not really taught how to negotiate, how to communicate to different audiences differently. Yeah. We are not taught any of those things. We are just taught, okay, this is the physics, this is the chemistry, this is the math. And that's what you know, you should know how to do. Yeah. And I think it takes internal drive and some triggers, like I mentioned, to kind of realize that I will continue to be a component in this big machine if I continue to operate the way I'm operating or the way I've been taught. And I think this learning actually comes from outside the school, unfortunately. No one is going to teach us that. It is all, again, us taking our, the ownership to kind of seek out books, education, people who have done this ahead of us and kind of ask them, all these different ways to kind of understand that, okay, you need to be the machine rather than a component in the machine. Yeah. So you went through this thing, you realized, especially, and then you went to access all these courses, all these networks, um, and start to craft these, uh, you know, mental models together on how you can unlock professionally, um, mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, getting that step up job, getting that promotion, or even starting uh, a business. Yeah. Did you start? um beyond grad which is mm -hmm. the can you describe a little bit about beyond grad and what you guys do and the different product that you offer too yeah so whatever i'm saying i'm saying in terms of my work at ensim which is the automotive okay. consulting company and Got a big it. part of it is also that i was contracted to a fortune 500 uh through my through ensim for a big part of my career not the entire but yeah. for a big part of it that's where i actually realized all oh, the game that this is a different game. But then I could see that among my peer group, I was the only one investing in these courses. Sure, a lot of my other friends were learning from their mentors, from their relationships that they had in the workplace. They were mm -hmm. smart as well. And everybody who kind of comes here qualifies themselves as being a little bit smart of somebody who has perseverance because we are coming from our countries to a completely new world and making it work. So we do qualify for these some of these traits. What I thought was missing was the clear systems that I had learned, which I could kind of then uh, pass on to the next kind of people who look like me, talk like me. And that's where how I started Beyond Grad, is to share all the systems that I have learned to kind of make sure that the next generation or the, the younger generation is not spending as much time learning about this as I had to. So I wanted to be another voice out there sharing these systems. That's mm -hmm. how I started Beyond Grad, it's, which is an online business where I help immigrants boost income in three ways. Either get promoted at work, 
mm-hmm. change their jobs and or start, start an income on the side. Yeah. So that's the genesis of it. And this for you was an income on the side, right? That's the where the tricky part of immigration comes in. And let's hear it. <laughs> so it is complicated to earn passive income or side income on any of these non-immigrant visas that generally immigrants come with. Mm-hmm. So I was on the H-1B, which is the most typical uh, visa that a lot of immigrants work on. And mm-hmm. on an H-1B, you're only allowed to work for the company that sponsors that visa, which in my case was NSIP. And yes, there are ways to kind of change that. You can do an O-1 visa that allows you to start working or you can actually create a company. This is a little bit complicated, but create a company, put somebody in a decision-making power who is a naturalized citizen or an immigrant in the US Mm-hmm. Who has who then applies for your H1? Mm. So it's a little bit complicated, a little bit convoluted, a lot on trust, and it has to be in the field of your study. Whereas mm-hmm. beyond grad was not exactly in the automotive engineering domain, it was in the career development domain. So I could not earn any income from it when I had that idea and when I started writing here and there. Uh, with beyond that yeah so the the first quote-unquote customers that you're doing you're basically doing it pro bono pro bono friends helping them out so for example i had i did four workshops at my alma mater attended by over 180 students and other professionals if so across the four and i was just doing it for free putting together spending so much time putting the presentations together doing live workshops uh, at my alma mater and just giving back, which is what I always intended to do with Beyond Grad. Yeah, but Beyond Grad, even though um, early on you couldn't uh, monetize, currently you are, is that right? Yeah. Yes. So what changed? Yeah, so the big trigger for me was uh, driving across the river from the US to <laughs> Canada. <laughs> so in the suburbs of a border city. So I was in Metro Detroit area, which mm-hmm. is on, on the border from US, between US and Canada. And I saw a lot of my friends moving to Canada and continuing to work on H-1B, continuing to be in the same US job location. So they would drive in every day and drive out, which is not that big a deal uh, mm-hmm. crossing that border. And kind of a tube light or or a bulb went up in my head is that, okay, I can follow the template that they've been doing and just go to Canada on a PR, which then allows me to continue working for my US job and at the same time be on Canadian soil where I can start and launch my business. Mm -hmm. There are no restrictions. It's like an equivalent of a green card. I came here directly on an equivalent to a green card. Now, if you are an H1B, and if you were not born in a country like India or China, then you just have to wait a few years, maybe three or four, once your green card is in process to get it in your hands. But right now the system is stuck so badly for people born in India, especially in the EB2 category, which mm-hmm. is where the 99 people fall into, is that 
I will get my grandchildren before I get my green card. So it sucks badly. And I saw this as a ticket to kind of not wait that long. Yeah. Uh, and just came here. Everything feels still feels the same. And I, I'm just able to monetize from the business now. Yeah, that's amazing. Just going across the border, you know, and like, I, it's not, it's probably not that, um, that straightforward as how I describe it. But literally, you're like, I can't do it here. I can't monetize here. But I still want to continue helping others with Beyond Grad. And the opportunity of seeing it, seeing your friends or your mentors do that across the border and being like, okay, yeah. that's an opportunity. Was it really hard to um, convince your family to make that move from where you guys were living? No, they could see, they could see that I was struggling with not, monet, not being able to monetize. And I think we all came from a background where U.S. wasn't like our, our birthplace. So mm-hmm. it was yet another place that we thought would be great for our career and us giving back to the country in terms of productivity, taxes and stuff like that. It was a win-win. And mm-hmm. this, again, another one was a win-win. My wife was fine with it because a lot of the spouses that come to the U.S., are restricted by the type of work they can do on the visa they are that they are on. So yeah. my wife was happy to have that flexibility to start working, stop working, not be dependent on me having a job or her to be able to do uh, a job. She was very happy with it. So it was easy to kind of bring everybody over. And I'll tell you one very interesting thing. We are closer to Detroit and closer to some of our friends in Michigan than we were earlier. So... <laughs> It's crazy how that works out. Yeah, that's that's um, sometimes it's so interesting that uh, I would say that area of the country where it's like a lot of the um, cities and towns are like clustered together too. Right, right. Um, what would you say uh, outside of the visa, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, in the US I have to wait a generation or two to get my green card. Outside of that, what were the other challenges you had as an immigrant founder with Beyond Grad? Another challenges that I had was um, I was sometimes missing the chutzpah. So what I mean mm-hmm. by that is all through the years, right? Just being just being put into this this box of being an engineer, being an immigrant, just do your job and come back home. It was sometimes very difficult to get the confidence to start something. Mm-hmm. A bigger challenge to do it consistently without seeing a lot of results earlier on. Just by the virtue of the kind of business that I chose to go into, which is kind of like a creator-focused or creator-generated business. It wasn't like a typical uh, Silicon Valley startup. So the, the consistency piece was a challenge. And then having the confidence of charging what I should genuinely charge was another. Uh, so overall, I would say just confidence, uh, self-worth going into this as an immigrant founder yeah. was a challenge for me. And it's still something that I, I continue to work with. What do you think is that internal monologue that's going in with, especially regards to confidence? I would say fear is a big one. Fear yeah. that it won't work. I think yeah. we are all... As, an, as immigrants are social status dominated, 
I will spend $30,000 to put a certificate behind me, but I wouldn't invest $30,000 in self-development courses because it's, there's no certificate for it or there's yeah. no there's no social value to it as compared to getting a different master's. Whereas both yeah. are important, I think. Both are critical, if not the soft skills side being higher. Yeah. So, you, go ahead. You don't think those LinkedIn certificates are valuable? <laughs> uh, it, it really depends on how you apply that, right? In your, in your workplace, in your life. And I think that's where a big part of it is, is fear that you won't look good socially if you start something and it fails. The other fear comes from not having a lot of examples. So even though immigrant, we, a lot of immigrant founders are coming out, and even though you see a lot of immigrant founders doing well in Silicon Valley, if you're mm -hmm. not in that ecosystem, you don't have a lot of uh, examples around you. So mm -hmm. you're always timid about it. You're always not sure whether you made the right decision or not. So I think a lot of the uh, challenges stem genuinely from fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with everyone. I think it's not really, it's not unique to um, immigrants. I think even founders, when you're starting something brand new, and especially if you don't have a background of doing it like mm -hmm. it's a it's a very scary thing like i mm -hmm. uh, it's it's funny because i i've been talking about doing my own business for like 10 years mm. but there's always that mental barrier of like oh what what if i like don't have the right thing xyz mm -hmm. and i was just mm -hmm. always throwing like barriers barrier barriers mm -hmm. like in between until last summer where i was just like screw it i'm just gonna go head first through mm -hmm. this wall and after that, you're like, yeah, there are future bar barriers that are coming up, but the ones that you thought were barriers aren't, aren't actually barriers. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the one thing that I, I'm hoping like episodes like these can like get people to be like, okay, I can tackle those fears because people like Varun is doing it, you know? Um, yeah. uh, time and, is a big piece of that. I think yeah. what we all fear is how much time we are going to give this for it to be fruitful. How yeah. much runway do we have for it to be a success? Yeah. And sometimes we th think in terms of a year or two years, whereas the most successful business people, it's either their third or fourth idea that clicked yeah. or they've just done this for long enough where they have core competencies that other people can't match. Yeah, it's just uh, time, like I think. You're right. It's not two years, it's 10 years or more. That's what right. people are saying. So um, you had a really good way of starting beyond grad, which is basically moonlighting or like having mm -hmm. it as a side side thing for mm -hmm. a while until you can actually get revenue and right. um, generate revenue there. What are some of the other advices that you have on immigrants who are like, I have a stable job. I have, you know, but I want to take that next step of starting a company. I have two advices. One, put this in your mind that the path to time freedom goes through time prison. So to get to a point where you have freedom of time, 
you have to unfortunately put a lot of time outside of your work, away from the family, to be in this time prison where you are putting in so much but not getting a lot of it back. Mm-hmm. So that's something I had to learn, and it sucks, but that's the truth. That right now I am doing a lot more work without having as much to show for it as compared to people earning what they earn in their jobs. So Mm -hmm. that's one advice that just embrace the suck of being in a time prison on the path to time freedom. And the second one is that social capital is either earned by hard work Mm -hmm. or purchased by money. What I mean by that is, Any business, any startup needs eyeballs and needs customers. Of course, it needs the right eyeballs, the right target market and stuff like that. There are only two ways to do it. One, you either use money to do paid ads to get people Mm -hmm. to your landing page, your house, and then do it that way. Or you have to build social capital on these social media sites by mm-hmm. showing up every day and adding value, again, without being sure about getting any kind of value back. So yeah. if you want to shortcut the social capital building process, think about how you can do paid ads and build social capital that way, get eyeballs on your business, or again, embrace the suck for that building social capital is the key to the key to business. Like giving Apple examples is very cliche, but give me an opportunity to still share it. Apple had the eyeballs when it was launching iPhone. A mobile device, Blackberry had it, Nokia had it, everybody had it before Apple. But the social capital that Apple had and obviously the product that they built together combined to create this crazy business that they have now. So social capital is the key. Even if you have an okay idea, if 10,000 people see an okay idea and 100 people buy, that's still worth more than a thousand people seeing a great idea and 50 people buying. So social capital is something that you should think of either doing organically through social media or doing it paid through social media again. Yeah, Uh, I think so just to kind of distill what you're saying, the first one was, you know, this is is not a straightforward journey. Entrepreneurship is not straightforward. So embrace, you know, uh, putting in a lot more effort and work, uh, you know, front loading that uh, and then making a lot of sacrifices there. And then the second one was, build your social capital. Um, a lot of the the business side, it's it's about networking people you know and the people you can reach out to. So think about that, especially early on, and that's really beneficial over time. Yeah. Um, one, one last thing. I think in our previous call, you also said something along the lines of, for those who are looking to start a company, they can, they, there's a perfect place for them to experiment, uh, right? which is in their workplace. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so 
to build entrepreneurial skills the perfect place is to be an entrepreneur yeah so at the workplace everybody is looking for a leader and like i said to become a leader you need to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. what does it mean to be an entrepreneur is that first understand your customer so your main stakeholder it could be your manager leader the customer of your internal team so an internal customer and then at the end the end customer so first mm-hmm. understand the customer then create a product that solves their pain point which whatever the pain point may be by creating the product it might mean that you take up a project that's been lingering but it's important or you bring new ideas to the table that solves a problem that your team is currently having once you have that product you need to market it and you need to sell it so to market it you have to use writing you have to use copywriting you have to use presenting techniques you have to sell you have to market it and then you have to sell it for which you need sales copywriting again and mm-hmm. uh, networking relationship understanding motivations understanding um there's this famous book uh, influence by robert caldini yeah, i don't know if i'm pronouncing the last name right you so to the best place to kind of test all these skills is the workplace because it's already set for you the customers already there the product is something that you can already create based on your expertise and then marketing and the sales piece is something that you have to learn anyways to kind of sell whatever you're trying to sell so being an intro- entrepreneur which i had to be uh, in my company because we were also is a smaller company so i was fortunate enough to wear a bunch of hats mm-hmm. i did i was the one creating a new website i was the one doing a lot of the email uh, campaigning i was the one doing a lot of proposal writing and pricing strategy mm-hmm. but i was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to do it mm-hmm. so being an entrepreneur was a great way to test and hone all these skills while i was not being able to earn anything from beyond grad because of being on h1b visa so i fell into it i stumbled into it and realized as well this is a great way to kind of start being an entrepreneur yeah those are three in- really incredible advice um my closing question is always what are you optimistic about what i'm optimistic about is that there is this entire ecosystem now which shows that you can be an entrepreneur outside of having a corporate business i think when i was starting out in 2010 in my career that wasn't the case now youtube has blown up and it's just the the amount of money that some of these creators are making is more than a ceo at these corporate companies so yeah. there are no gatekeepers there is so much ease to uh, the ease of productize has gone high you can test your mvps very quickly so the entire ecosystem right now is encouraging people to start becoming entrepreneurs and i am more most optimistic about that and that is actually now filtering out to people to immigrants to professionals they know that having a job 
and going up the corporate ladder is not the only game out there. So that's what I'm most optimistic about. Incredible. Yeah, I agree. The creator economy, as they say, is like uh, giving people a lot more opportunity to monetize too, build businesses. Uh, where can people find your business beyond grad, especially for immigrants who wants to achieve all those three things that you offer? And where can people follow up with you if they want to? Two ways. The best way is to go to uh, www.beyondgrad.com. Become an email subscriber. Uh, you will get a lot of goodies, a lot of value right away. Plus, you get my email, so you can email me with questions. That's where I'm most communicative. I read every single email that I get. And then the other one is LinkedIn, where I write daily value-added topics on getting promoted and finding a or landing a step-up job. Sometimes mm -hmm. I will share my entrepreneurial journey and my side income journey as well. That's mm -hmm. the place to follow if you want to hear from me every day. <laughs> I don't know if that's what somebody wants, but if you can follow me there, and I'm also active on DMs, but not as active as I'm able to uh, with email. Got it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really great to hear about your story, your journey, and also beyond grad and how you're helping uh, immigrants. So thank you, Varun. Can I, can I ask you one question before we end? Yeah. Is there a takeaway that you got from this episode that you would implement going forward? I'm just curious to hear that should, it's not necessary to have an answer to that. Yeah. Um, I think being able to, the entrepreneur aspect is uh, very interesting to me. I think that's where um, you fell into it. And I also fell into it like after the fact, it's like, oh, I would, I would really remember these moments in my career where myself and another person started around the same time and he kept on getting promoted. And I kind of like um, track back on what he did differently. And it was the entrepreneurial aspect of it, mm -hmm. being able to collaborate, um, being able to come up with really interesting things. So I really believe in that aspect. And then on the side, being able to do that and actually build your own business that comes. But I think, yeah, the entrepreneur thing is like a really interesting takeaway. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to you sharing your journey just like I did today, because I think you have a fascinating journey as well. Yeah. And it would be great to hear that if you already have a podcast episode on it, plug it. If not, make it. Yeah, one day, one day. <laughs> now I'm I'm very interested in uh, you know talking to entrepreneurs like you. I appreciate that. It was great chatting with you today. Yeah, great chatting with you too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast app. One more thing. Foreign Founders is a new podcast, so please consider leaving a rating or review. That helps more people find the show. See you on the next episode.